Hello and welcome to Automators. My name is Rosemary Orchard and we are here to talk about automating your computer, your Mac, your iPad and all of the things to make everything do your work for you. And I'm joined as always by David Sparks. Hey David, how are you today? I'm great, Rose. I want to talk automation with you, you and Jay. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have got the fabulous Jay Miller on the podcast. Welcome, Jay. Fabulous is such a strong word. I, I, I tend to think magnanimous, stupendous and utterly automatic. I, I love all of those words. Excellent descri- descriptors uh, for, for everything, including yourself. So welcome to the show. Although utterly automatic makes you sound like you are a robot, just, just to be clear. Uh, abort sequence, abort, abort. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, what is the square root of 2,572? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are the three rules? It's okay, you passed. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like anytime you uh, accuse a developer of being a robot, there's a part of them that likes that. I'm not sure. Am it's I like, wrong? Oh, thank yes. you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I like it. I like it when that happens. Um, uh, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, Jay, you have been on our list for a while. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about your background in a minute. But, but thanks so much for coming on today to talk about being an automator. Yeah, no, big fan. Listen every other week and uh, to this and many of the other Relay shows and uh, happy to both learn and and talk about some of the things that I do because I always feel like as much as I'm a weird, strange, unique little bird doing my automation thing, I learn so much from what y'all are doing and I, I feel like I'm I've got my notebook ready, so let's do this. Yeah, automation truly is the chewing gum, scotch tape, rubber band of programming, you know? It doesn't have to be pretty, it just has to work, and uh, as we hear every week, uh, that's that's often, uh, especially my my automations aren't that pretty, but they work, you know, that's all that matters. Uh, Jay, Jay, tell us about a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I'm Jay Miller, I'm a... Longtime podcaster, developer advocate nowadays, which uh, people always tend to ask, what is a developer advocate? And the answer is no one really knows. Uh, basically, we get I get paid by my employer to go and talk about their products, but to also like connect with their community and uh, whether it's sharing code, building projects or connecting them to other people that might be able to answer their questions. That is my answer is always yes. And, and doing that. And, you know, the time that we're in now or getting out of has made that a little challenging, but it's also created a bunch of new opportunities to do all of those things virtually, which means I have a lot of meetings, but I also get a lot of opportunities to automate things. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool gig. I mentioned podcasting. I'm currently, doing a few shows, none of them that really kind of fit this mold, but uh, I do have a new productivity podcast that's in the works, as well as some other secret productivity projects. So yeah, that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. I'm also a dad, and uh, yeah, I'm in sunny California where it rained yesterday, and I was very confused. Yeah, I know, right? What, what is that? What is this stuff falling Wait, out of the sky? Wait, you're allowed rain in California? I thought this was forbidden. I feel like we've been cheating the system for a while. Like every, okay. every time it rains, I'm like, are we going to get billed for this? It's going to come out in our taxes, apparently. I don't know. Yeah, I, okay. I don't know. Okay, I, I was under the impression that you basically lived in a desert over there. That That's how California works. But we basically do. But you, you'll see it on the forecast, but you're like, no, that's not actually going to happen. And then you'll wake up and things are wet. So there you go. 
Jay and I actually live pretty close to each other. Um, but that's not why we're here today. Jay, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is because you're a developer, but you're also somebody in a job that has a lot of human interaction, like, you know, a lot of folks out there who are not programmers. And I th- I feel like when you bring those developer superpowers to the gig you've currently got, that automation is just going to naturally grow out of that. And I'm guessing there'll be a lot of automation we're going to talk about today that everybody can use out there, whether or not they're a developer. So thanks for coming on to uh, to help us out. Absolutely. And and I guess the other thing to add there is I'm also a introvert and one that suffers from ADHD. So working with people can be draining and remembering what to do after the fact can be even more draining. So having automation kind of be that here, let me let me help you out here. Uh, mm-hmm. That that tends to help a lot. Yeah, yeah. Automation and checklists are definitely our friends in this particular case. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have ADHD, but I definitely find lots of conversations with lots of people, something I've been doing a lot of recently, draining. And so having automation so that I can just press the button and it's like, okay, so send this email and do that and do that and do that. And then, you know, it's just done. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm really glad that we get to talk to you about this. Well, uh, before we start, guys, let's just take a minute and talk about something that happened in Cupertino last week, the spring loaded thing. Cause I know the listeners want to know, and we did a whole episode on Mac powers on. So my opinions have been shared already, but, but as I was watching this, there was a certain woman in the UK who texted me the words. They had me at purple. (laughs) That's all she said. Mm, Purple. Rose, Rose, we need an explanation of what that cryptic text meant. Okay, well, it's not that cryptic. So for people um, that that aren't aware, my favorite color is purple. Um, and the, therefore, um, the, uh, the correct answer to are you getting a new iMac, which is M1, is my Mac Mini is still within its return period. So thank you, Apple. Yes, I am. Um, are you getting a new iPhone in purple? No, no, I'm not because uh, I have the iPhone 12 Pro Max. It's only the iPhone 12 that is available in purple. So it's the 12 and the 12 mini. Um, And Jay, I want to pick your brains a little bit about the mini actually um, uh, when we get to that. Um, I want a purple iPhone. I want a pro purple iPhone so much. They did green. They're doing blue this year. Please put Apple purple next year. A lovely dark sort of mystical purple on the pro iPhones. Oh, that would just be magical. Absolutely magical. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm getting a new iMac, David. I've never had an iMac before. It's it's going to be exciting. And uh, yeah, it's it's. I, I can't wait I, because, I, you know, I've been trialing this this M1 uh, Mac Mini, but the the the, tr- the problem I found with it was that it didn't have enough USB-C ports. Um, and the, the iMac um, does have, if you upgrade it, the four USB-C or rather two uh, the Thunderbolt ports and then two two Thunderbolt threes uh, and USB C ports, um, and it's got Ethernet in the power brick. It's interesting, but I'm looking for it. I'm hoping for shortcuts at WWDC, David. Whatever the new Mac OS is, um, you know Mac OS fell off a cliff um, uh, type thing. Uh, you know whichever cliff in California you're picking, Mac OS Disneyland. Let's do that one. Uh, I want I want shortcuts in it. I was thinking Mac OS Pomona might work, you know, but I don't okay. know. That's kind of, you got to be, you got to live here to understand. Mac OS Big Bear. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I grew up right between Pomona and Big Bear, so that would work for me. But the, uh, yeah, Rose, I think 
I think that works. And, and, you know, people are like, Hey, wait, there's going to be a bigger one later. And they're right. And it's going to have the next version of that M one chip. That's going to have more cores, but you have to remember this M one is still competing with a, an iMac pro for render speeds for stuff I'm doing. So this is still a great computer and, and it's purple. Yeah, it is. Um, and a lot of people are saying, oh, I, I want to hold off for the 27-inch the or the 32-inch iMac, whatever it is. Um, I'm going to be putting this next to an ultra-wide monitor. I've already got 34 inches of screen real estate. Yeah. I do not need huge amounts of extra screen space here. Um, thanks to the, the episode on window management that we did, David, and your tip on, on Moom, which has completely changed my workflow. It's going to be pretty easy to manage that. Um, fortunately, but uh, just the way that the things are changing uh, with with how I do my work, it's going to make sense to have another monitor. The portable monitor I've been using is great. I love it, um, but it's it's not ideal for a permanent setup. So it's going to be excellent to, to have those 24 inches of space, but not have my entire desk occupied by screens. Um, so uh, yeah, finding a balance there. But it isn't going to be occupied by screens if you've got that Gigantor monitor and then you've got the Well, it's purple. only 34 inches, David. Um, and so um, I'm actually, uh, this Friday, I've taken uh, the day off work. Um, so we're recording this podcast ahead of time. It's a background for people. I'm going to be mounting some shelves on the wall and I'm going to be transferring my microphone uh, arm onto the shelf on the wall along with some lights um, for, uh, for uh, my, you know, for... Re- doing videos and things like that. So when I'm on iOS today or just meetings, uh, I can turn on the lights and people can actually see me, Um, which, you know, I figured is a novel concept, people being able to see my face, but let's go with it. Um, And uh, yeah, but I want uh, want to keep things on my desk to a minimum and the amount of screen space. uh, You know, I think it's going to be strike a good balance. One of the things that I've been struggling with here is that, you know, in in the future, I'll be traveling a lot. You know, that I mean, we're already having those conversations about next year and like making sure we have the right miles and stuff set up. So for me, it's like, do I really want to invest in this beautiful screen that I'm only going to get to play with half of the time? And part of me says, yes, absolutely. 100 percent. You're an Apple nerd. You do that. Um, The other part of me is like, well, they have this iPad and I have like a work you know, laptop, that's fine. I could just use that to invest in an iPad. And I mean, I have, and the new iPad has so much with it supporting Thunderbolt. So now I can plug it into my LG, you know, cinema display thing that this massive screen here. And I, I'm really excited about how much power comes in that new iPad but I really need them to make some applications that are going to use that power. And and I'm specifically talking about Logic and Final Cut for me, but mm-hmm. um, I know that there are a few alternatives out there, but I, I'm i just begging Apple, like, if you, you've given me a $2,000 iPad that I want to buy, give me the applications that will make me say, this is a no-brainer, you know, shut up and take my money. Yeah, I, I talked to a friend years ago about why they don't have the Pro apps on the iPad after they released the iPad Pro. And this is somebody who like knows stuff. And he said, just look at the RAM profile. He's like, it's never going to work. They can't put Logic or Final Cut on the iPad or even Xcode because it only has, at the time, it was, I think, four gigs of RAM, you know. And 
now this new one, if you get the terabyte size one, has 16 gig- gigabytes of RAM. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe we're, you know, I, I don't want to be too hopeful because, you know, we've been down this road before, but maybe this is the year that they're like, okay, we built it with a powerful enough chip. We've given enough RAM. Now all the Apple Pro apps are going to show up here. And and maybe this is the year. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty exciting. I've decided I am, I'm not going to have a laptop anymore. I'm going 12.9 inch iPad Pro and an iMac. Um, and uh, until WWDC happens, I'm going to be using Jump Desktop whenever I need to get onto my Mac, um, which works as a pretty good solution for for getting around these things like, you know, Xcode and stuff like that. It's not perfect, but it's it's a good start. Um, and uh, as always, we need a start and then hopefully uh, we can fill in the rest. But uh, I think, David, it's probably time to start talking about some of the uh, magical automation that Jay does. It's not, though. I still have a couple questions. Number one, oh, is that, okay. I, want, I want to follow up on you and Jump Desktop. I want to see how, how happy you are with that. But Well, I'm already using it with an 11-inch iPad Pro and a, a Mac Mini a lot of the time, and I'm pretty happy with it. And that's on a very small screen. So uh, I think I'm going to be happier with the 12.9-inch. Good. And the second question, you're getting a purple Mac, but you didn't say which purple keyboard you're getting and whether you're getting the purple mouse and the purple trackpad. I want to hear the whole purple story. I, I, here. I'm not doing magic mouse. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't really have many issues, but I do have a slight case of arthritis in my hands. Um, and it's just one of those things where if I do the smart thing and I use a good ergonomic mouse and stuff like that, I don't have a problem. The Apple magic keyboard is fine for me 90% of the time. And the other 10% of the time I've got plenty of other keyboards running around way too many keyboards. Um, so, so that's all good. Um, so I will be getting the Apple magic keyboard. Um, and, uh, with the iMac configuration I'm looking at, it will come with the touch ID built in and I'll be getting the matching purple trackpad. Uh, and this will be accompanied by my, my, my standee, uh, my, my, my city friend, the Logitech MX Master 3, um, which is an excellent ergonomic mouse with a horizontal scroll wheel, which I can highly recommend if you do audio or video editing of any kind, because scrolling across the timeline is just so easy with it and then i would get um you go to the do you guys have hardware stores in uk what do you call them where you go like hardware do you know what a hardware store is you mean like a diy store there you like go. home depot type thing yeah, yeah. Exactly. they're called, like we have being q and wix seasons Groovix here yes all right so go go there and get yourself a can of glossy purple spray paint and then you just lay i them already out. amazoned it it's arriving tomorrow and then just lay the mouse down <laughs> go outside and put some newspaper <laughs> underneath it so you don't mess up the ground and then just spray it purple and you're good. <laughs> it'll, yeah, the, it'll there's purple spray afterwards. paint arriving tomorrow. It wasn't for the mouse, but I'm tempted. I, I guarantee it. It will work fine. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander. Your team can do more with the same resources. That means less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency. So your team will feel like they've hopped off a bicycle and into a Ferrari. With Text Expander, you can keep your team consistent, accurate, and current by sharing your text and images with the whole staff to keep them on track, which makes sure everyone will have the same message and give the same answers to all customer questions. Help your team work faster and smarter. By using Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything everyone types. Text Expander's powerful snippets save you time, so that all you type is a short abbreviation, 
and TextExpander does the rest of the typing for you, keeping your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language. Share your snippets of messaging, signatures, and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you. I love TextExpander. I use it for all sorts of things. But honestly, my most commonly used snippet is the one where I managed to spell my name wrong. The E and the M just get swapped every time. TextExpander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And automated listeners get 20% off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast now. Our thanks to TextExpander from Smell for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, let's talk automation, Jay. Um, how did you get started in automation? Um, well, I mean, like, like most of us, I wasn't thinking about automation. I wasn't even really thinking about programming at the time. But uh, when I got my first, second, third, one of those iPhones, I want to say it was probably the iPhone 5S. So probably my third or yeah, third iPhone. Uh, I, I found out about this app called Drafts that was just like, everyone loved this application. And I, I didn't really understand it, but... Uh, some of my very first uh, automations were, you know, the classic uh, text, text the missus that I'm on my way home from work, um, text my mom or just have an application button that says, you know, sorry, I haven't messaged in so long. Um, just kind of those classic ones. And then I started getting into programming and from there it became you know, for those that don't know, there's a, a script box in draft actions, and it's been there for some time now, uh, that allows for JavaScript. And I was like, oh, I can use this to learn how to code. Uh, so for me, going in and learning, you know, Python and learning JavaScript for most of this type of automation stuff, and I had I had not really at the time, I don't even think I'd only had like one like MacBook Pro and I wasn't thinking about things like keyboard maestro or all this other stuff. So uh yeah, a lot of my automation really started on iOS devices and you know drafts being the biggest part of that because at the time I, I think I remember the day when a friend of mine showed me this app called Workflow and I was just like Apple's never going to let this thing stay yeah. in the store. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. The joke <laughs> at the time was that they had naked pictures of somebody at Apple because there's no other way it would have got approved. The, um, I, now, Maybe but, that's how they all got hired. <laughs> yeah, you know, I it, something I didn't know, Jay, was that you actually learned uh, development and programming through drafts automation. That is, that's a great story. And I know there's a lot of people out there listening who like automation. They're not developers. They don't know much about programming, but they probably would like to learn more. And I think, you know, drafts automation, particularly JavaScript um, automation, is a great place to get started. How, how did you go about learning, you know, the craft? Well, it, and I would say I have to be fair and say I was interested in Python development at the time. And I was, you know, I was doing kind of the, you know, free code camp and like those courses and I had mentors. But I think what drafts and what iOS automation taught me was kind of the art of exploration, because at the time there were some docs, they weren't, you know, the greatest docs in the world, which I say I only say that now because Greg has done phenomenal things with that mm -hmm. platform and like everything is so well documented now i'm like wow i wish i would have had this 
you know, almost eight years ago or yeah. seven years ago. But it's it's interesting because at the time, all you could do is go on to Stack Overflow and like, how do I do a for loop in JavaScript? And yeah. in your mind, you're like, okay, there's a chance that the developer hasn't included this kind of logic or there's a chance that it just won't translate one to one. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, this works like this, but then there are all these other things that I don't really know about. And it it just became, well, let's try it and let's build what we know and build off of what we know and continue from there until you start uh, doing more and more with it. And then you're like, oh, wow, I, I've built like a mood tracker and drafts and that's <laughs> like has all these menu options and auto date finding stuff and natural language processing. And you're like, I, I don't know how I did this. And then eventually you realize it's all built on, you know, band-aids, patches, and uh, a lot of copy pasting. So uh, I would, I would always say you, you learn by breaking stuff and then figuring out how you broke it and fixing it. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't put this, the mood tracker, in in the outline. You didn't tell us about this before. Tell me about <laughs> I this don't mood use tracker. It <laughs> That's okay. I just I I'm really curious because for everybody, their first automation that they remembered, you know, doing that that was held together with duct tape, hopes, wishes, and unicorn tears, um, is is always special. So 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 what was this? You know, how how did you create it? Obviously, you know, you use drafts and JavaScript from the sounds of it. But but what was the purpose of this? So. I I've I've been a productivity um fan person for a long time and one of the things that I had you know really started thinking about was how does my mood affect my productivity like I mean obviously we just have days where we just can't even and and that's you know for me that seems to be more days than than often but I wanted to have this like line of drafts that were just emojis and the emojis would be my my mood so that if I were scrolling through my drafts, because like most people up until a few weeks ago, I had several thousand drafts um, that were still in my inbox, I, I could see a, a pattern of how my days had been going. And what I would do is I would just, you know, I would trigger the action. It would pull up, you know, how are you feeling? With a couple of emojis there, I'd push the emoji and then it would say date time emoji. And I think at one point, like tagging, I think tagging had been, you know, added by that point. So then I would also add the tag of the year, the month, the day of the week, the day of the month, and like whether it was in the morning, the afternoon or the evening. And that way I could get an idea of like, okay, what has my mood been like in the evenings for this month? Or how does my mood this you know month compared to this time last year that was the plan of course again at this point i don't i don't do that anymore but um i've kind of switched to other tools for that but it it was really cool of having like an immediate need of like okay i want to see if this helps let me just build it and it just started with like okay just put an emoji in okay well only i i don't want to add variants to my emoji. So let me pick a set of emojis. Okay, now that I've got my set of emojis, let me put that on a menu so that it just pops up and then I can just tap it. And then, oh, let me add all this metadata around it. And and so again, it was like, as you did what you could to make things work, you were just like, okay, now what? Now, how do I make this a little bit better? And and that has always been my my developer 
story or how I've built things. It's always like, I've built this thing, you know, again, rainbow spit and duct tape. And now it's like, how do I make this better? How do I make it cleaner? How do I make it prettier? How do I make it, you know, more performant? How do I make it document? Well, I guess better documented. Um, What can I do to improve the quality of this code or, you know, this project? And I think that was the thing that, you know, most people don't think about when they're developing is most of your time isn't developing new things. It's improving and maintaining the existing things that you've already put in place or that your company has put in place. Yeah, and I think that's so often the path for automators where you just start with a basic solution that does one thing. And then once you get that automation in place, you're like, well, wouldn't it be nice if this also did that? Or if this could detect this is Tuesday and do something special because it's Tuesday. And that's the way you learn this stuff. You know, you just you want to scratch an itch. And and so often, again, if you're trying to solve a problem you're going to learn it a lot faster than if you're just trying to learn in the abstract. I would agree with that. And, you know, that's that's the whole point of automation, isn't it? It's solving a problem. It's not learning to code or, you know, solving world peace. Though, If, if somebody could do that by lunchtime, that would be great. Um, but it, it's, it, it's about solving a problem that you have that you're facing right now um, and finding the tools to do that and, you know, and hopefully the motivation to do it as well. Um, and it certainly sounds like you you got a really strong start there, Jay. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess if I ever do make it big in this programming world, I have to send Greg a big check. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll just always subscribe to that application, even if for some reason I'm not using it. I'll just always subscribe because I, I do really owe you know that application my entire career start uh, and and progression. I I, I find drafts. Uh, to be excellent value for money as well. There, there, there was recently an increase in the price for new subscribers, but that means that those of us who were subscribed at the old price still get it at something like twenty bucks a year, and that's with family sharing. Um, I actually made a point of unsubscribing before my subscription would end, and then subscribing again from new because I felt like I was getting a lot out of drafts and I wasn't paying enough for it. Though, uh, you know, not everybody can afford to do that. I'm very fortunate. Um, uh, but, uh, it's, it's excellent value for money. Um, and, uh, I would agree. It's a good way to start learning programming for an automation perspective as well, especially nowadays with it being on the Mac as well. Uh, it's on, it's on your Mac, your iPhone, your iPad, you know, wherever you want to code, uh, you can, and then you can use that same solution to solve your problem wherever you are. Well, I mean, the funny thing to me is how often I pull drafts out of my tool belt and use it. I mean, we've got an episode of Mac Power Users publishing next week that really isn't about drafts, but I think I mentioned the app like four or five times in the episode because it just is kind of a Swiss Army knife for text. And if someone works with text, this is a great automation platform because you can make your life so much easier with it. Um. But let's talk a bit about some of your other automation because you've gone far beyond that since, you know, your initial exploration into drafts and JavaScript. Yeah. So I, I mentioned that, you know, that quickly turned into programming. And I feel like anyone that can write a shortcut, anyone that can write a, a workflow or or a keyboard maestro action you're you're already on the right track. Um, I, I tell people my claim to automation fame uh, for the people that I worked around was I got in trouble once for not working, but that was because my computer was working for me. And we had 
we had this big project. Uh, the company I used to work for acquired another company, and they had 40,000 items that they needed to add to our web platform. And at the time, I was the person that was responsible for that. So in my mind, I'm like, well, I've got my work cut out for the next you know, year. And from there, it was like, well, how do I do this? Where do I even begin? The first step is downloading all of these images. So I just started writing scripts. And it was like, well, I'm going to write a script that goes to this web page and like clicks on every single link in their index. I have a list of all their items. So once I learned the URL, I just hit a button and boom, I have 40,000 images downloading to my computer, which my computer was not happy about, but it did it. Um, After that, I had to figure out how to upload it into our system, which was this Java-based, you know, older platform. So I couldn't just, you know, click a button and watch it go. But what I could do was integrate things like Keyboard Maestro into certain steps. So it was like, okay, let's upload all the files into the back end and then use Keyboard Maestro to just iterate through this long list and iterates just a fancy word that says go through it line by line and and just okay here's the url here's the you know path that you need to take here's the file name here's the information and then my screen just started flickering basically as mice were you know the mouse was moving around opening windows waiting for things to load and i was like well i can't touch anything so i'm just going to go walk around i guess so i wound up doing what we considered to be my entire year's job in about eight hours because it it was just doing its thing and doing it on its own thanks to, you know, a little bit of programming knowledge, which wasn't even the superstar. The real superstar was Keyboard Maestro. So you con- compacted a year's worth of work into eight hours. Uh, David, I think we have our automation, our automation crown winner uh, right here. If we can, if, if we've got the coronation ceremony set up, we'll just go ahead and do that. That's amazing, um, and I, I feel like a lot of people could learn a lot from that because even if you can't script something, keyboard maestro's click it image will save you. Uh, I I've used that for auto automating a Java applet. Sounds like we have a lot in common there, Jay. <laughs> Those Java applets are not fun. Um, but luckily, the the website itself was just HTML. So once, as long as the web page didn't change, you could basically say, hey, fill out this form. Here's the information for the form. Keyboard Maestro has all of that built in. And then you just have to have, you know, all of your, all your stuff and something for uh, Keyboard Maestro to look at to say, what do I need to get? And I think at the time I was using like Omni Outliner, but I mean, I could have used drafts or anything else. It was, but I mean, it was so fragile and that's why I didn't want to touch it because I mean, you're literally switching applications, like line down to the next cell, copy. Okay. Parse this information out. Now go to the website, fill out the information, hit submit. Now go back to the outline, pay, you know, line down to the next cell. Uh, so like, uh, weird mouse movement, anything like that could have, I, I think at that point I literally like turned off my mouse. Like I just unplugged it because yeah. I had a wired mouse at the time. And I was just like, no, I'm, I'm not touching this thing. I have, you know, it, it won't go to sleep. I think I was using like caffeine or amphetamine or one of the mm-hmm. many applications that do that. And it was just like, all right, nobody touched this computer. I literally put like a piece of paper on it. Just like, do not touch. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, on pain of yeah. death. <laughs> Yeah, our CEO just came in and said, he's like, what's this? And I was like, oh, 
it's working. <laughs> yeah. kind of, he's like, okay, and then walked out. <laughs> I think that's the thing, though, isn't it? You've got to get, you've got to do the work somehow, and either you're going to sit there and do it manually and make mistakes, or you can make your computer do it for you. And if you program it wrong, yes, it will make mistakes. But you know, it sounds like you did the right thing and you made it smart enough. Yeah, like U- UI scripting feels like the most powerful thing in the world and a house of cards all at once every time I do it. You know, because it doesn't take much for everything to go sideways when you're programming at that level with keyboard maestro i just put one of those together recently for grammarly because i run all my text through grammarly and i realized what a pain it was to copy the text open the website and there's no way on the website with a keyboard shortcut to open a new um open a new document so i just right. use the the uh, keyboard maestro trick you know look for this image on the screen and click it and so it was all ui scripted and it, it works fine but um, all that stuff is very tenuous as you put it together. But the, you know, what is it? Wait is my friend. You know, wait a half second yes. between the steps, and you know, and, and okay. you definitely want to develop that in like in strokes. You say like, okay, can I do it with one? Now, can I do it with ten? Now, can I do it with a hundred? Okay, if I can do it with a hundred, I can probably do it with all forty thousand. Now, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then. And then you just have to hope. And then you give yourself time that when you see it break, you're like, okay, it broke there. Let me, you know, let me document that and make sure I know now to add a weight in there or to say, hey, instead of going, maybe instead of, you know, deleting the line in your spreadsheet, you just page down because sometimes that takes longer and it's just faster to page down and just copy whatever that sells contents are. Mm-hmm. And, and it, Again, that's why I say if you can automate even the smallest of things, it makes you start thinking, in my opinion, like a developer in some way, shape, or form. And you're like, hmm, when I do this, I get this problem. How can I make sure that this problem doesn't happen again? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing, right? You've got to be looking for these opportunities. Um, because if you don't look for the opportunities to automate, you know, it's it's very easy to miss them. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but I always end up looking back at things going, you know, it would have been so much better if I'd automated this, uh, especially when you're doing anything multiple times. Um, you know, every so often I'm there and I build an automation for something and I think I'm spending a bit longer here building the automation than it would take me if I just did this manually. But just because I need to do this 10 times manually today, is that going to be the only time ever that I need to do that? manually and also am i going to make a mistake doing it and then have to redo something which costs more time um and uh in my case it, it nearly always turns out that i do something i do an automation for one thing that is definitely only ever a one-time thing and three days later i can reuse it with a very minor tweak um to something else so uh you know it usually works out these things yeah so when you did this uh keyboard maestro ui scripting automation did it did it work all for all the images without stopping once, or did you have any any complications you had to solve? Well, and like like I said, I, I kind of did it like the 110, 100 path, and I, I ran into a lot of problems around 100. Um, there was some weird like timeout stuff that kept happening. So, um, and again, a lot of that can be resolved by, you know, if you close the, close the browser down and reopen it, or if you do open the browser, like log in, <laughs> um, just close it, open it, log in. Uh, and, and from that point, it was just a matter of like click and go. And I think there was like one issue that did come up with like, there was a field that was input incorrectly, which 
I mean, at the time I didn't know and, and that's fine. It was like, ah, well, we just need to change this one field. Good thing I have a list of all of my items and all I need to do is just take out all of the stuff that doesn't need to change and just make that one little adjustment and then run it again. And because you're only doing that one thing, it doesn't take eight hours. It takes like one. So even when you're, you know, even when I did make mistakes there or mistakes happened, you were still able to go, Hmm. Oh, I get it. This two should have been a three. Okay. Change that now run it again. And because I had so much stuff put in place, kind of like what Rose said, it, it didn't stop there. It was like, okay, well this worked from now on, this is the new process because if it's good enough to work for, you know, 40,000, it can work for 20, it can work for 10, it can work for five. Yeah. And it, it just kind of increased the process over time. Now you said at one point you had issues with rebooting and relogging into the website. Did you script that into the system before you did the 80,000 run? So it would actually reload the, the browser. It would close the browser and reopen it every time and log okay. in. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So that that's a way to solve the problem. And who cares, right? Because it's still doing it all automatically. And the nice part was I had all the items were already in the system because I, again, I'd ran that script that it did the bulk upload, which I don't remember how long that took, but it didn't take very long. So it, it wasn't like I was, you know, running into the problem of like, oh, you have this corrupted data. It was like, no, you have data there's just no information attached to it. So I'm just going through and updating the metadata. So if there ever was a problem, I could even just manually go in and make the, a small adjustment if I needed to. And I think that's that's kind of the, the key thing. Like a, a lot of people want to try to build like this entire platform that does everything in one giant step. And it's like, okay, no. If there are like three very significant steps, step one, get all the items. Step two, put all the items in the system. Step three, upload all the metadata. So by doing it that way, if one thing broke, I didn't have to do the entire process over again. It's like, oh, okay, I downloaded everything. Everything is now stored and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I uploaded everything and everything is great. Now, all I have to do is focus on this one, you know, at the most, for the most part, very simple part but at the same time, it would have been a lot harder to do had I said, I'm just going to do download, update, upload to the system, and then add the metadata and then keep going through that process. It would have taken a lot longer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I very much like the the approach that you have there of uh, splitting it into steps. Can you tell us a little bit about how you divided these things in, into steps? Did you have actual divisions in, in your macros or did you just, you know, have a comment and a note of, okay, so if it reaches this far, then it's done all of this um, and things like that so that you would know if something went wrong, where it went wrong. So the first two steps were just complete like Python scripting. Um, I used uh, a couple of tools that, you know, the some of the developers call like AIO um, or AIOHTTP, which is like a asynchronous downloader uh, mm-hmm. in Python. And then I use that as well for the upload, but you also have to provide a bunch of like authentication and stuff behind the scenes. So basically I was downloading and uploading in like sets of 20. So 20 synchronous downloads. And then when one emptied out, you know, it started working on the next one. So those were kind of on their own. All I had to do then was just check against the files because they were stored on my local file system. Thank goodness for a lot of space. Um, (laughs) Also the images weren't too big, but I could then just say like, okay, 
quick little cute, you know, quick little script here that says go through this list of items. And for every item, there should be an image with the same item number. And if that exists, then we're great. Um, if it doesn't exist, then we have a problem. Uh, and, you know, then, uh, of course, some things happen. I was missing a few files. So then I go and I just manually download those. And then again, the next step is go into the system, upload everything. And then when I was setting the metadata, the first thing it would do is check and see if that item existed. If it didn't exist, I would I had a little thing in there that just said, hey, you know, if does this value equal this? If it doesn't equal this, go back into that document, that spreadsheet that I had and highlight that row so that I could just go in and filter and say like, oh, for some reason this didn't upload right. Oh, this one too. Hmm. Okay. Well, let me, let me just go in and add those real quick and then rerun it again for just these items. And, and again, it's, it's one of those things that like, it takes you eight, you know, eight, eight, nine hours to, to do it, but you have all of this pre-planned work and like, okay, step one took like two hours. Step three took like another two hours. And then you have like another, you know, half day of solving those issues and figuring out why they broke. But then the next day you're like, I'm going to get in, I'm going to hit play and nothing's going to stop me. (laughs) And I do that. And then everything is working and you're like so excited. And then you're just like, okay, I'm going to come in. I'm going to look at it from time to time just to make sure that, you know, the, the screen's still bouncing around doing its thing. And as long as it was, I was happy. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by SyncUp, a OneDrive podcast that takes you behind the scenes of OneDrive. If you're listening to this show, you know the joy of finding a new podcast that can teach you something and be entertaining along the way. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, SyncUp takes you behind the scenes of Microsoft OneDrive. So you can learn about how to connect files, share your documents, and work from anywhere. And you'll get to hear about the design and development side of things, too. Each show covers a dedicated topic, guest interviews, news and announcements, plus a special topic outside the technology norm. Topics include things like external sharing, so you can use your OneDrive data and share it externally, automation, which of course is near and dear to my heart, and yours as well, because you're listening to the automators, and also remote work, which is now more important than ever and entirely doable with OneDrive. In the most recent episode, The show covers Yammer, which offers employees a way to come together socially to share what's going on in their lives, both inside and outside of work. The guest, Michael Holst, is the product manager on the Microsoft 365 product marketing team responsible for employee engagement. I actually listened to this episode with my wife, and she's, you know, trying to get back into the workforce, and she wants to get better at OneDrive, so if she ever applies for a job, she can talk about it with some authority, and she's been learning about OneDrive through this podcast. That's just one reason to listen to the SyncUp podcast, and if you already are working at a place that uses OneDrive, why not become the guru of OneDrive at your workplace? You know it will help you get your work done faster, and that's why you're listening to Automator. So, Uh, This is a great companion podcast for the automators if you work with OneDrive or you think one day you may do so. Either way, go listen to it now. Just search for SyncUp, S-Y-N-C-U-P, wherever you get your podcasts. That's S-Y-N-C-U-P, or just click the link in the show notes to check out SyncUp. Go check it out now. Our thanks to SyncUp and Microsoft for their support of the Automators podcast and all of Relay FM. 
And I think that's the thing, you know, it took you, you know, a, a long time to put it together, long being relative um, into the amount of time that it, it took to actually run, but you still saved a year's worth of work. Um, that's incredible. Absolutely. And and I will say that uh, I'm, I'm no longer at that company. Uh, I'm doing something else now. So I don't really have a need for this, you know, my magnum opus of automation glory. Um, so now I've I've retreated into the quiet life of, uh, I call it shortcut bettering, which means every time I have an application, which I think that there should be a shortcut for, um, I just make one <laughs> using Keyboard Maestro. Or if I think that there should be maybe a better shortcut, not to pick on drafts again, but that's one that I... I distinctly know of that like draft supports marked on the Mac and marked does this great preview of markdown content. And anytime that I want to preview markdown in drafts, I want marked to be running and I want marked to be the thing that's doing the preview. So I just hotwired the preview shortcut to make sure that marked is open and then just open up the marked streaming window. And then also when I close draft drafts, then keyboard maestro says, Oh yeah, let me close mark too while you're at it. That's ingenious. I really think it's those two and three step automations that really, you know, provide the lubricant of the day. You know, it's like just little things like that. Even like the one I was talking about earlier, copy text, open Grammarly, push this button and paste it. You know, stuff you do every day that is manual. The automation does not require you to go super deep into the weeds, but then it just improves your quality of life every day because you're doing this stuff repeatedly. I think those are some of the best automations. I recently did one that's very similar to this where it will copy uh, the URL of the currently open Safari window, uh, open deliveries and start uh, adding a new delivery. And I do this for when I've ordered things from Amazon um, so that I can easily grab that link and uh, just paste it into deliveries ready uh, to to add that so that I, I know things are coming. Um, and I realize I don't use it all that often, but I do the same thing. I do command L, command C, command space, type D E L, wait for it to appear, tap enter, uh, command N, and then it deliveries picks it up on my keyboard. But that's actually quite a few steps. And, uh, I know I, because I have extra space on my stream deck, David, I have a space on my, on my stream deck, uh, for, <laughs> for that. Um, which I don't use all that frequently. Uh, so does, is it worth having a space on my stream deck for it? But it makes me happy every time I look at it. So I'm good. I, I do something similar to catch the the URL and copy it. Um, I don't I don't necessarily put it into deliveries, which I should because I have deliveries open and I was expecting a delivery yesterday and it was late. Uh, but I use the hyper key for a lot. And I know, uh, David, I think you've talked about the hyper key on your on your blog some of you know better touch tool. You just hit caps lock and then now it hits shift control option in command for you. So hyper key L when the browser is open, uh, keyboard maestro says, oh, let me what's that URL? OK, that's on your clipboard now. You're good. Yeah. I, and we've talked about hyper key in relation to keyboard maestro, but in the past it required installing carbiner elements which is a, an amazing app, but it has very questionable support. And, you know, the most recent update to the Mac OS, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it's really stable yet. And the guy at Better Touch Tool just decided, oh, heck with it. I'll just write it into Better Touch Tool. And it's a one button where you can take the caps lock key and turn it into shift command control uh, option. And it gives you a whole nother set of like 30, 
um, buttons you can use for a keyboard shortcut, you know, the whole keyboard plus caps lock. And also it allows you to avoid doing that, um, you know, that jujitsu with your fingers where you're trying to hold down eight keys at once. <laughs> yes. Holding eight keys at once is, uh, is a fast track way to, uh, to, to not being particularly happy with your workflow. So yeah. uh, I can highly recommend, uh, also just a side note, the, the guy behind better touch tool went full time on that recently. Um, and he was able to do that and I'm really pleased about that. So uh, yeah. I just wanted to mention that. So uh, if you, if you haven't tried better touch tool before and you, you have a trackpad and you want to add, uh, support for automation to it, or you have a mouse with unmapped buttons or you like window snapping, just look at better touch tool. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, we need to at some point dig in on that. We did a whole Mac Power Users episode on it in the past, but maybe at some point we need to dig into the Rosemary Orchard brain on Better Touch Tool and hear what you're doing with it. Because you're right, it's it's an app that's not expensive. If you're a set app subscriber, it's it, you get it in there and he still gets paid. So, you know, it for automators, this is such a, a great tool. You know, it's kind of like drafts. Like once you install it, you find all these uses for it. You forget that you're running it until it's not running. And then you're like, wait, what? <laughs> What's yeah, happening? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, exactly. I had to do something on my dad's Mac for him the other day. Uh, he he wanted to know why tri- Time Machine wasn't backing up. It turns out if you turn off your Wi-Fi connection, then Time Machine doesn't back up, dad. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, 10 out of 10 on the troubleshooting. But I was trying to open a link in a new tab in Safari on the track. And I was using the trackpad. And I was tapping with three fingers because on my machines, I've mapped the three finger tap to the middle click, which usually means like close a tab if you're middle clicking on a tab or uh, open a link in a new tab. And I was doing this and I was trying to figure out why it wasn't working. And it took me uh, much too long to realize that uh, it was because he doesn't have better touch tool installed because he doesn't he doesn't know how to use that yet. Uh, So uh, he'll be getting that for his birthday next month. (laughs) Rose, you mentioned kind of the like joint pains and stuff that come with, you know, using a Mac a lot, you know, especially when it's our our daily jobs. Um, There's actually a new app and I'm working on a video for like a whole suite of apps that help with with arthritis and RSI. Um, And in that it's called Menuware, which takes your top left menu, your app menu and or your app menu bar and it just puts it wherever your mouse is and one of the things that i've done is i've actually you have to use like a hot key to trigger it normally i've just configured better touch tool with like shift double click to just it's almost like a second right click it's like oh if you right click you get your options but if you shift double click on your you know trackpad now you get that menu bar that if you are like me and you can never remember where your mouse is you don't have to worry about that because the menu bar went to your mouse, not the other way around. That is genius. I'm 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 going to use this. I love it. Uh, fortunately, I do very well by mixing up the the trackpad and my Logitech mouse. But it's always good to uh, spare yourself any p- potential future problems if at all possible. And with Better Touch Tool, you could also just configure it for your mouse as well. Yeah. Though there is one button on my mouse that I've forbidden myself from using. I'm not allowed to program it. And that is the down button on the thumb rest. Um, I don't know who at Logitech thought that up, but everybody I know who's ever pressed it goes, ow, yeah, that that's not happening on a long-term basis. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I use it every day. <laughs> the down button underneath the thumb rest, David? Really? Yeah, I just push down with my thumb. That's great. <sighs> Yeah, it drives, I don't know, maybe it's just my thumb or something. It really hurts, actually, to use that. And I can feel it in my joints. Like, I just pressed add it just now. And no, I'm, I'm not even going to try and use that again. My, my hands will not 
not let me do that. I, I feel like uh, all the years of playing the saxophone, my fingers are, you know, they're very, they're like athletes. They're super soldiers of fingerness. <laughs> okay, well, uh, so we took a, a side diversion there, uh, Jay, into Better Touch Tool. But uh, Keyboard Maestro and Better Touch Tool are not the only applications you are using on the Mac. Um, and I know we we keep meaning to talk about Alfred more on the show, David. We're going to have to do an entire episode on it. And, and Jay, we might have to get you back for a segment in that. But you are using uh, Alfred in a couple of ways, which I really need to get better at doing, uh, Jay. So would you like to tell us about some of your, your favorite Alfred scripts? So. Alfred is awesome. Uh, I will say, I think Alfred was probably the first Mac automation-ish tool that I ever used. Um, and I've been a power user ever since. Um, I guess the quite literal, you, that's what they call it. Um, but I, so I use DuckDuckGo um, for search. And DuckDuckGo, for those that don't know, have a bunch of documented and undocumented uh, commands that they call bang commands. So if you do exclamation point and whatever the shortcut is, and there's actually a, another app called keyword search on the Mac that does something similar. And I, I run that as well for different things. Uh, but the cool thing is Alfred can have its default action be to search for something on the internet. And over time you start memorizing the bang commands that you use for everything. So if I want to go to uh, Google Images, I can just do like, you know, exclamation point IMG and then whatever I want to search. And because I don't have to like create the, the workflow for that, it'll just say, do you want to trigger this with the default action, which is search it in DuckDuckGo? And I say, why? Yes, yes, I do. And then from there, Google Images pops up and it searches for whatever I'm searching for. So it's almost like my universal search bar, but smarter using some of these different commands that DuckDuckGo has built into it. Okay, so to give us an example of one of these bang commands that you like to use. Uh, let's see. Well, there's there's Twitter, because um, that's healthy for me to first think of Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I could just type in, you hear my keychron back here. If I just type in bang tw max sparky, it's going to open up Twitter. And it's going to open it up to David's. Well, it's actually going to search for David, but then I can see at, you know, David Sparks at Max Sparky right there. First option. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those. And, uh, there's a, we've got a link actually to, uh, to, um, David, you've, you've been diving into, to, uh, Alfred a little bit more recently. I noticed, um, you know, that you've been posting things on your blog again, uh, 10 out of 10 for that. I really need to do a better job at that, uh, where you've been diving into, uh, Alfred as well. Yeah. Well, there's just so much you can do with it from an automation perspective and, uh, what there's two things I like about it that I've been embracing more lately. First is just native file search because there are um, there are built-in samples in in the uh, Alfred you know sample pack where like you can say search for just folders that have this name. Like I think a lot of time on your drive you want to just find folders. And for me, since I have a separate folder for every client name that one made a lot of sense for me, but I added a parameter to it saying, just search in this one directory where all my client files are. So if I type CL space, and then it searches the client folders and I can type, you know, Rosemary Orchard if Rose was a client, and then I would get to her folder 
just type in CL space ROSE or, you know, however many letters I have to type in for it to find her. And then you hit enter and then you're in that folder in the finder, which is just a great way to navigate finder to specific places. And then as I started doing that, then I started making other custom folders, you know, like, you know, pod searches the podcast folders or, you know, you know, you know, insert your own need here. So that's something I've been doing a lot of. The other one I was doing um, is I found a group of scripts written by Packle, uh, P-A-C-K-A-L for OmniFocus that are just, you know, they are, I don't know what are the words the kids use, the cat's meow. What did they say? I don't know, man. I don't know how to yeah, be cool. Yeah. Uh, unicorn so, tears. Someone's kids are used to saying that, yeah. Yeah, someone's kids. <laughs> unicorn tears, I think, is, really is the hip version now. Okay, unicorns. Here. It, it's amazing because um, he just added a bunch of commands. Instead of bangs, they're period. So you hit period F, and then it searches all the OmniFocus folders. So I could say uh, period F space Smith, and I get to the Smith folder in OmniFocus. And I use a lot of nested folders because... You know, I have a lot of different things I'm responsible for. And I hit, or I can hit period P and it goes to a specific project, you know. And so um, it just makes navigating through this stuff much faster. And all of it just is triggered by Alfred. And, you know, how do you not love Alfred? Yeah, I would highly second the recommend uh, recommendation that you've got there for for Packle. It's it's a website where a lot of different people have submitted different uh, scripts over time for for uh, Alfred. Now, some of these have been around for quite a while, so there might be newer forks of them, you know, alternative versions which are more up-to-date and have more features. So you might want to do a little bit of digging around there. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's it's an excellent resource if you want to dive more into, into Alfred. Um, and uh, I know that I found Alfred is one of those tools where I don't really think about it much, but I use it a lot. And actually, Stephen Millard, who was on the show uh, relatively recently, has a whole... Uh, two two actions. They're just two actions: one for keyboard maestro and one for drafts. And it doesn't sound like a lot. He's he's put the entire drafts library inside of Alfred. Um, so uh, you know, I, I I that that's something that I really uh I've been playing with a lot and I really like. Yeah, I mean the ability to trigger keyboard maestro scripts while you're from from Alfred is just a a remarkable little tool because Alfred is always very close. Do you guys do you guys trigger Alfred with command space, control space? How do you trigger Alfred? Uh, oh, command space. Yeah. Absolutely. It it has replaced spotlight. Yeah, I I remap spotlight to option space and then Alfred is command space. Every so often my Mac has been doing this weird thing cuz I'm back on, on the Intel Mac and I think it's it's throwing a wobbly cuz I was on the M1 and I liked it more. Um uh so it it throws a wobbly and it doesn't start Alfred at launch and I'm not quite sure why this is. I've narrowed it down to it's not an Alfred problem. Um because Alfred is doing all the right things that it's supposed to do. Um so, uh, so um, I, I've narrowed it down to macOS is being weird, so I need option space available should I uh, need to start Alfred from Spotlight, which is pretty much the only thing I use Spotlight for nowadays. All you do is, to remap that, all you do is you open up Spotlight and then hit command comma, and then you can remap it to option or control space. And then that allows you to, to set the Alfred trigger to command space, as you do. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Forward Networks. Forward Networks produces business risk by revolutionizing the way large networks are managed. How? Well, their advanced software delivers a digital twin of the network, which is a completely accurate mathematical model in software. The model serves as a single source of truth for the network, 
so users can verify that the network is configured correctly, is in compliance with policies, and is behaving exactly as they intended. Forward Enterprise can accurately predict the impact of a proposed change across every possible traffic path, so network operators can roll out changes with confidence, all while the network stays secure and reliable. It really is an invaluable tool for your company. Fortune 500 companies and large public sector organizations are turning to mathematical models of the network. Forward networks have customers such as PayPal, Verizon, and Goldman Sachs, along with several large government agencies. It was founded in 2013 by four Stanford PhD graduates who felt an empathy for network operators, and no security is top of mind for IT professionals and business leaders, and sought to apply these principles of modern software development to the network. Request a demo today at forwardnetworks.com slash automators. That's forwardnetworks.com slash automators. Go there now, check it out, forwardnetworks.com slash automators. Our thanks to Forward Networks for their support of this show and Relay FM. David, I know that you are, you know, you're you're all about context. And that's that's something, you know, we talked about just triggering, you know, omnifocus searches. I mean, our our and you know, drafting keyboard maestros. I've actually built, um, and I'm the maintainer of there's another tool called Bunch, and it's built by um automator mad scientist Brett Terpstra, and it is I would say it's very, it's keyboard maestro if it were only for context. Um, so for me, I actually triggered those bunches via Alfred. Um, and I, I maintained the, the Alfred workflow for that. And it's cool because, you know, it, it becomes this thought of instead of just saying, oh, I need a website or, oh, I need to open an app or a file. It's like, I need to get into podcasting mode or I need to get into presentation mode or I need to get into video mode. And I, I just, you know, hit Alfred, hit B to activate bunch. And then it searches for all of my active, all of my bunches that are available. And I just type the one that I'm looking for really quick, hit enter. And then boom, you got windows that are closing and new windows that are opening and do not disturb being set or unset and all this other stuff happening. Yeah, I need to get into bunch i you know i know anything brett makes i usually fall for and that's one i just haven't got to yet i i have all these complex setups with keyboard maestro and i suspect a lot of this stuff would probably be easier with bunch i i think the difference between in my from what i can tell with bunch and keyboard maestro and i've got 20 bunches i think on here at this point uh some that are just tests uh, but a lot of it is, I don't want to have to think about how I'm going to do a thing. It's like once you learn the like the bunch syntax, then it it be, what could be like a bunch of blocks in Keyboard Maestro becomes like ten lines of just text in bunch, and then you're you're there, you're ready to go. Yeah, um, um, and what I what I really like about Bunch as well is uh, David. It, it uses X callback URLs, and uh, we recently had a show on the Stream Deck where we talked about using these URLs in the web action. Um, now Brett Terpstra had had a post about uh, doing this from Keyboard Maestro, um, and uh, the uh, it it there's a there's a bit of a delay um, if you if you put x callback urls in the website action versus if you trigger them from keyboard maestro um but it means that you can you can easily trigger things from the stream deck as well um and uh yeah i i'm i'm loving bunch i've been playing with it a little bit actually recently so uh we uh we might have to look into that one in a future show as well yeah so 
give me just kind of an overview since I haven't run this one. Like, give me a sample bunch that you run and and what exactly it does to your computer. So I'm gonna I'm gonna find my very very simple one uh, that's six lines, and the lines I'm gonna read them to you. Line one Slack. Line three. So there's a blank line in there. Safari. The blank line isn't even necessary. I just put it in there to make it readable. Yeah. There's a dash, two X's, and then two URLs on line five and six. And what that does is when I trigger that bunch, it opens Slack, it opens Safari, it closes all of the tabs in Safari, and then it opens those two URLs that uh, I listed. That's that's the simple one. That's a very simple. I tend to do that in the morning when it's like, oh, time to start my day. Let me make sure got Slack running. Um, you can do things like add snippets. So you can have all of those actions inside of a file and have another file call that file. And then on top of that, you can now add menus to it. So where you can say, well, what Slack do I want to go to? And maybe you just program you know, if, if you don't ever move your slacks around, you could say, you know, command one is, uh, you know, my work slack. Command two is one that I have I have where I'm in a bunch of friends. And I can say, oh, work slack. And it'll go, okay, slack. And I'll send the keystrokes, you know, command one to slack so that it sends it to the right one. And if I want, and I guess the, the good example here is a podcast that I run called Bob's Tavern Cast, which don't worry about that. It's just a silly card game. Um, but when I trigger that, what it does is it loads up my recording snippet, which closes Dropbox and Cloud Mounter, which is, you know, all the little big bandwidth consuming things. Yeah. It closes Logic, Final Cut, Skype, Zoom, Dropbox, and my email client. It sets my Do Not Disturb to on. It changes my audio inputs and outputs to my Focusrite Scarlet and it opens up Audio Hijack and triggers a keyboard maestro snippet that says, hey, look at Audio Hijack and select the image that says that podcast name. And then from there, when I'm done recording, I hit close that bunch. And when I close it, it has a whole nother set of instructions like reactivate Dropbox, open up the Dropbox request URL, and then also open up Patreon so I can send the raw audio feed to my Patreon patrons and then uh, open up Transistor where we host our podcast and open up Logic, open up the exact template for Logic that I'm using, and then also have the window open where I'm expecting my co-host to drop their audio files in. So it already takes me out of one context and moves me into the next one. And all all of this is like 30, 30 lines of text. Yeah, and that that makes it really easy to debug as well. But but like some of the things you said in there, I'm not sure how you do those with Bunch. Like, how do you make specific commands within an app, or how do you open a Finder window? And I guess that probably isn't that difficult. But I just I need to sit down and figure it out. Yeah, there's there's a subcontext. So if you if you type Finder and then on the next line you do a dash and then you put like a file name it's supposed to open that file within Finder. Um, you could also, if it's just a folder path, if you just put the folder path in on a line itself, it'll just open that folder path. Um, and then sending commands like do not disturb and like system commands, you do that by wrapping them in uh, parentheses. And, and that's the thing is there is a language that you have to learn. Um, it is pretty simple and some of it does make 
very much sense. Uh, um, there's a couple of them that I'm like, huh, I got to wrap my head around that a little bit more to to get it. But then once you do, you're able to just start writing things. And if, I mean, even when you take stuff out and, you know, with snippets and menu options and stuff like that, there's there's a lot of room to to think about things differently. I like this because I feel like in Keyboard Maestro, there's like one way to do a thing in most cases, or there's probably two. But if you don't know those ways, it becomes hard. In something like Bunch, you just start typing. I always say, like, just try the file first. If you just try the file and it doesn't do what you want it to do, then go to the next step of like, okay, maybe I open the application and then add the file. And if that doesn't work, it's like, maybe I open the application and just send the command stroke of command uh, command O to open. Uh, There's a lot of ways that you can like try different things to get the same results. And ultimately, like, Brett's just gone above and beyond with adding front matter to it. So now you can have all those things run at once. You can have them run in line. And again, a lot of it is confusing, but a lot of it is also very optional. So you don't have to feel like writing your magnum opus saved you a year's worth of work in one text file. You can, again, start slow. Do like, I want these few things. And if you already have Keyboard Maestro doing the rest, just add the keyboard maestro URL, uh, X callback URL and it'll just run it. Yeah. I mean, the, the nice thing about this is it has URLs in it. So you can do basically anything on your computer, uh, from a bunch. And if it's, and if it's something Brett makes, you know, that it's going to be constantly getting updated and you know, there's not going to be any rust in the machine. If there's something that doesn't work, Brett will just go in and fix it. Yeah, a bunch is something I've definitely been playing with more and more, um, especially when I realized that it might even in some ways be better than Keyboard Maestro for for some of what I'm doing. Um, you know, Keyboard Maestro is excellent, but it's an extremely powerful tool. And sometimes I don't need all of that power. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's always good to have the right tool for the right job. So the other thing, of course, is, you know, if people don't have Keyboard Maestro, but they, they like the idea of opening a series of applications at the same time, then, of course, Bunch is a great way of doing that. You know, if you don't have Keyboard Maestro, and uh, we might convince you on Keyboard Maestro another day. And if we don't, then that's totally fine. You're still an ultimator without it. Bunch is also free. I should throw that in there. But I think it it will be moving to paid. Right now it's in beta. But, uh, yeah, I know Brett's Brett's got a lot of stuff going on, but I know Bunch is definitely a, a big priority for him now how do you guys handle window management because i'm looking at these bunch scripts and none of them seem to say open safari and put it on the right side of the screen or something like that so you can do that now he recently added like some display management uh there's another post that he did a while back about using moom with bunch and and, and again because moom supports different keystrokes you can just trigger those keystrokes to happen. Uh, just activate Moom and then tell, hey, activate this window, trigger these keystrokes, and now that window goes to the right place and everybody's happy. All right. You guys have given me a homework project. You know, we, we make this show release on, on Fridays for a reason so we can spend the weekend doing something. I'm going to become a bunch guy over the weekend. So here we go. Jay, I know you're also enthusiastic about Hook. How are you using that? So yeah, hook hook for those that know is is like this really cool like bookmarking tool. And I, I always say bookmarking and people tend to think like I go to a website, I add it to my bookmark, so then I have to search for it in my bookmarks and then there it is, which is great when you have three bookmarks, but terrible when you have 300. Um, 
Hook is cool because Hook doesn't just bookmark URLs. You can bookmark files. And the reason it's called Hook is, well, just like when you hook a fish, the fish is now connected to your fishing pole. You can hook one file or one URL to another file and URL or several files and URLs and those things. And recently I did a video that you can even hook to actions that you want to run um, when things happen and they have a templating system and things like that. But all that to say, I hook so many things, almost everything. Uh, I hook it to something. Um, and, and a lot of that is because of my job and the amount of research that comes into to building these presentations or building, you know, little scripts or demo projects. Like I'm often thinking about like, okay, what do I want to include in my presentation? Even in podcasting, like the hook has been like the best because I can, if I have a guest, if I'm, you know, interviewing David Sparks, which I've done before. Uh, one of the best things about that is I can go to his Twitter account, hook that, and then connect it to MaxSparky.com, and then connect that to the field guides, and then connect that to automators and Mac power users. So that as we're talking, I don't have to sit there and think about, oh, what does he do? Oh, he does that and that and that and that. I can just go open up hook, search for, you know, David Sparks. And then I have this laundry list because David does way too many things um, of all the different things that David does. And then I now have that. And if I want to export that to a list, I can, if I want to go to a particular file, I can do that as well. And by the time that this is out, it will have launched. Now hook also has pinboard integration so that anything that you hook can automatically be added. Well, sorry, any web URL that you hook can automatically be added to Pinboard. And for those that don't know, Pinboard's this very like lightweight, but super powerful, like bookmarking, you know, long-term storage uh, tool that most, a lot of us nerds use that are doing things in the background. But the reason I love that is that if I've recently hooked some things that I'm wanting to think about in terms of research, I can hook, it'll move it to Pinboard and then I can now take it on my phone with me and I can view those those web pages on my phone. Or if I'm really nerdy, which I am, I can save the pinboard RSS for that tag that Hook applies. And now I have an read it later service using Hook that also links to projects and applications. So it's it's a super powerful tool. And I'm I'm just loving all the stuff that they're doing with it. And I know there's a lot more going on. And I will say, uh, I guess the the one caveat there is that I I do work not for Hook, but I've done some work with them in terms of working on the app and and getting it uh, some of the features you know thought out and applied. So um, I you might be able to tell by my voice I'm super passionate about like being able to make my job easier and have everything in one nice little place that I can find. Um, And to me, hook has just been one of those things that adding it to my system saved me so much time and so much like cognitive load in where things are, because I don't have to think about it anymore. I just have to open up hook and go, Oh, look, there it is. Yeah. And URLs are everywhere. I mean, this, this kind of ties into my idea of contextual compute where, you just go one place, you find everything, everything talks to everything else. And 
I started using Hook mainly as a source for URL links to files and folders on my Mac, but it is an addictive app and you start using it more and you start building your own Hook directories. And just like you said earlier, it is a great way to keep everything together. I mean, and it's not, I think the mistake people make when they hear the description is like, well, you know, bookmarks or URLs, I've got a way to do that already, but this isn't just bookmarks and URLs. This is everything on your Mac. I mean, this is, this is like you said, bookmarking for everything. Uh, it's, and there aren't very many apps that will let you take a website and connect it to, you know, a document or a video that's on your local machine. You can't say like whenever I'm watching this video that I've downloaded or a video of a presentation that I'm doing and go, Oh, that reminds me of this one thing that I did, you know, or this one, you know, walk talk that I watched. Let me go find that really quick. Let me hook it to this pre this video that's on my local storage so that the next time I'm playing it, I can go, wait, what was that one thing? Oh yeah. Let me just activate hook. There it is. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's all about the the interlinking between things. That's one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of Obsidian. I have done a little playing with Hook, uh, but in, in my day job, uh, I, I don't really need to link files together um, or link much of anything together. It's it's all interconnected in an IDE, so I've not had a huge chance to play with it from that perspective. But it's something I'm I've started experimenting with more and more, you know, as as me rather than working me, um, and I'm I'm liking it. Yeah, and you know now Obsidian has URL integration where you can easily save a URL to an Obsidian page, and it has hook integration so you can hook your Obsidian page. So yeah. I just love the way all this stuff ties together. Um, me too. Explain to me a little bit more, Jay, um, how this new integration is going to work to allow you to use it on mobile devices because that's the one thing I uh, I'm sad about with Hook is that like the URL links I have to files and folders only work on a Mac. They will not work on a mobile device. And and how far down this rabbit hole can we go on our phones and iPads? So the big the upsetting news there is that it it does only work with pinboard. So you do have to be a pinboard user, which I think for some people they're like, okay, no big deal. Um, I know that there are talks to expand that to some other applications out there that people like, uh, but when you enable uh, the hook integration with your pinboard account, which, you know, pinboard gives you this API token, you just have to put that into hook and it goes, okay, cool. Thanks. Um, anytime that you hook a web URL. So if I go to maxsparky.com or relay.fm slash automators and I hook it, if I immediately go to pinboard, it's there. Um, and if it was already there, then it, Hey, it shows that it's already there. And it adds this tag, this from dot or from colon hook tag. So if I have a pinboard, you know, re- client on my iPhone, which I do, I have pinstachio. That's my pinboard client of choice for iOS. Then I can just search for that from hook tag, or, you know, in most cases I just have it, it's the last thing that was open, or because I'm often just storing everything with hook now, it's the top thing on that menu. So if you have files that you'd, or if you have URLs that you know you've hooked, you can then go into your pinboard client on your mobile device and they're there. Okay, I really like this. I did not know about Pinstachio. I've been looking for a new uh, pinboard application for for, I, for iOS, and uh, I think you've just solved my problem. And it's a clever name. Gotta give them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bon- bonus points for being clever. 
<laughs> Could you give us an example of how you're using Hook in your work life? Obviously, you don't have to use the the company names or anything, but but just for people out there who are still trying to wrap their head around it, maybe you know an example of how you're using it day to day would help. I think. So, uh, if if I can, if we can talk inside baseball on a podcast, uh, mm-hmm. we have the automators doc here that we've planned. I have that hooked to a lot of the different websites that we've talked about. So I have it hooked to bunch. I have it hooked to Alfred's website. I have it hooked to some of the videos that I have in the notes and um, a lot of the documentation and a lot of these links that we've, we've saved here, I have them all hooked. So in the future, if I'm talking with someone and maybe we're talking about Mac automation and they're like, Oh, Hey, you did that cool thing with bunch. I can go, yeah, let me show you the website. And if I go to the bunch website, because that's hooked to this, I could, if I just activate hook really quick, I can go, Oh, you know what? I was on automator 75. You should, you should check that out. And then once the episode is live, cause again, we're talking in the past, yeah. um, I will have that hooked as well. And I'll probably remove the show notes hook cause I won't need that anymore. Uh, so then I can go to bunch and I can say, Oh yeah, it's really cool. You know what? I I could talk about this for hours, but I, I already did that on the show and here's a link to it and then just copy that link and then send it off to them. Nice. Yeah. I, I use it both for Max Sparky and legal in much the same way. And um, like one thing that is always hooked is the obsidian URL because that's kind of the ground zero for a lot of this stuff, but it also can be an omnifocus project or it can be a website or, you know, or a folder full of files. And to me, that's kind of the, the killer feature of it. And something I sorely miss when I'm on an iPad that I don't have my, my hook security blanket available to me, but I'm not sure there's really any way to do that the way the, the operating system is structured. Yeah, I don't think so. But uh, you mentioned OmniFocus and kind of those tools. That's that's really where that kind of next step came in of, you know, you can hook an OmniFocus project, but you could hook it to a calendar event. Or in my goofy case, whenever I'm meeting up, I guess one of the things I do with my job that I didn't mention before is I, I do a lot of work around diversity and tech and talking with organizations and and how, you know, the company that I work for can support those organizations and their initiatives. And so I'm, I'm always in meetings. I, I average, you know, I think 4.2 something Zoom calls a, a day. So for me, whenever I have a meeting pop up, I have all of the context around that meeting stored on the event itself via hook. And the cool thing is if you're using something like just this generic Apple calendars app, it even supports repeating events. So I don't have to hook them every single time. I just have to hook it to one instance and it's always there. So if I'm doing like our YouTube planning session, or if I'm meeting with a new customer, uh, a new partner that we're working with, I can just activate hook do a quick search for this whole workflow that I have set up for, you know, onboarding new organizations. And then everything starts connecting and it's, it's all there and it's all done. And I don't have to think about it. And again, I I talk about like, we automate things so that we one don't make mistakes and that two, that we don't have to think so hard. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's about moving the thinking. Think once, uh, you know, David Allen said, think once a week. 
Uh, that's that's totally valid. You probably have to think more than once a week. But if we can just think, uh, you know, it, once for all of these different things that we need, then then that makes life much more difficult. Uh, much more, much less difficult. That's the words I'm looking for. Sorry, can you tell it's been a long Tuesday? Um, so, uh, so yes, I'm a big fan of uh, pre- preparing for these things once, and then and then you're good for it every single time. Well, well, you know what, Jay Miller, we have been talking an hour and a half, and we've got through half the outline. <laughs> did we did we make it through fifty percent, David? Are you sure? I thought it was closer to a third. <laughs> I, I feel like that Jay is going to be back on the automakers if we can convince him. So we're going to have to do that. Absolutely. But. Okay. So so Jay, important question: uh, cookies or brownies? If if we're bribing you to get you back, which which do we need? Are are we talking about the European cookies because those are just crackers, aren't they? And I no I mean, no 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 no. Case, we're brownies. talking we're talking like. Uh, shortbread with Belgian chocolate chunk cookies. Oh, let me just interrupt and say, in the name of all that is holy, do not offend European chocolate to roast. Just, that's <laughs> all I'm going to say. Also, cookies over here are like chocolate chip. It's biscuits that you're thinking of, which which can be sweet or savory, depending. on We also have crackers. Um, you guys are, are so savory. wrong about that, honestly. I mean, they're cookies. They're cookies, right? <laughs> no. They're not. The, They're the biscuits, and you have them with yes. a cup of tea. <laughs> I mean, I, okay. I, I, so I'm bribing Jay. I'm on board bring, with bring jumpers. Back, bring back the the local California automators meetups, and you've got me there. All That's right. all you got to do. Okay, we only we only managed one of those before, and then there was a pandemic. Um, but uh, let, let's try that again uh, next time if we can, David. Uh, I'm up for uh, visiting you and uh, meeting your dog finally. Yeah, uh, so we should do that's that. That's what we'll do. We'll we'll get next time. We'll get um, Rose in California. Uh, my couch is still waiting for you, Rose. Uh, we can set up a meetup, and Jay can come up. Jay is. Uh, can I say where? What city you're in, Jay? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm when when I'm not traveling, I'm in San Diego. So. Yeah, so he's literally like an hour from me. So we'll 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 make it automators plus Jay. It'll be like, you know, it'll be like the. The band is there, but we got a guest singer, and it'll be Jay Miller, and it'll be amazing. So, so yeah, we'll do that again. And um, either way, in the meantime, Jay, where do folks find you on the internet? So I, I will say, as I mentioned before, I do a few podcasts. So if you're into productivity or Hearthstone or asking people in the UK uh, what's up with their decency laws and stuff. Uh, you can find all of those weird things that I do over at kjymiller.com, also on Twitter at kjymiller. And yeah, like uh, I've been doing some more YouTube stuff. So there's links to all that on that website. So just go there. Um, and hopefully there will be some new podcasts talking about productivity and stuff in the near future. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Jay. Um, you've got me looking at Bunch. Uh, hypothetical question: Do if someone out there wants to download Bunch, do you go with the with the beta build or do you go with the stable build? Go with the beta build for now. It's got a lot of stuff in it, and I know that a lot. I know it is on a feature freeze, so there's going to be nothing new until the brand, like the big version that comes up. Right now, it's just fixing a lot of minor stuff and documenting those things. And uh, I did mention before, I am also the maintainer of the unofficial Bunch Alfred workflow, but it's the one that's on the website. So okay, uh, if you want to try that out and run into any problems with it, you know who you can yell at, and uh, I will be there to 
uh, solve any problems, but it's a pretty simple system. Uh, and it's all using those X callback URLs that people are so excited about. Nice. And we've got a link to that to that uh, that plugin for or workflow, sorry, for, for Alfred in the show notes as well for everybody as well. And it is in- indeed installed on my Mac and it has been since we uh, did our show preparation, Jay. So thank you for that. Oh, that makes me feel good because you didn't yell at me. <laughs> no, no, I- I'm bribing you to come back. I do think while you're at it, Jay, though, you might as well just go ahead and make the hook Alfred integration, too, because I know you have tons of free time. So just go ahead and whip that up. <laughs> Brett, Brett's made the CLI. Unfortunately, the the hook, the way that hook works, the X callback URLs aren't quite there yet, but um, I have it on good faith that they're working on that as well. So um, once they once they get those going, then definitely. But until then, I'll just keep making videos about it and and showing people all the little workarounds that I've figured out over time. Excellent. Excellent. Once again, thanks to Forward Networks, Smile Softwares, Text Expander, and SyncUp, the OneDrive podcast, for sponsoring today's show. We are the Automators. You can find us over at automators.fm. You can also find us at relay.fm slash automators. And before we leave, I just wanted to point out another show on RelayFM that there's a good chance you'll like called Pictorial. Because we all love art in some form or another, and learning the history behind the most influential art or art behind video games doesn't just belong to expensive classrooms or museums. So join hosts Quinn Rose and Betty Chin as they talk about the most interesting parts of art history. Neither of them went to art school, and they're breaking down elitism surrounding beautiful art stories by sharing what they're learning about art every other Tuesday. Quinn is a podcast producer who is passionate about recognizing the artistry of both low and high art. And Betty is a building design manager who's also spent years guiding tours at the Art Gallery of Ontario. Personally, I've always had interest in art, and every time I go to museums, I love reading about the art as I look at it. This show just steps that up a level. I am a subscriber. If you're interested in learning more about art with them, why not start with episode 26 on flag design in North America, or maybe episode 15 on the most famous stolen artifacts in the British Museum. You can find Pictorial to listen and learn yourself at relay.fm slash pictorial or search for Pictorial wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, we're the automators and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.